All right, I'm going to lose the whole choir at 10, so we're starting right now at 9.30. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the thaw that we have, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you would be at work uh, today while people are gathering in churches, that you would be thawing hearts that have been closed to you. Lord, we pray for uh, everyone everywhere that's, that's worshiping you or uh, popping in to see what this is all about. Uh, and we just thank you that, Lord, you, you still have uh, people everywhere that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You have uh, your ministers uh, throughout Lansing. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would bring revival here to this city and to our land. And we pray especially that you would bring revival to our church. And we thank you, Lord, for how you've been at work here in our midst. Uh, as we continue to discuss uh, creation and begin to discuss how you created us in your image, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes uh, to your truth. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Yes. Uh, if you want to discuss the um, film, let's do that semi-briefly so we can move ahead to another uh, question. Question 10. Are you yeah, Kim's got it now. You can get it from her if you like. And then we just put it in the library, and whoever wants to see it can see it. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Police. I did not see you come in. What are you, ninjas now? Cool. Hello. I did see you come in, man. You come in. You always come in with a big flourish. Yeah, I know I'm a bad ninja. Roger. All right. Do we not want to discuss <laughs> What what was the one thing that kind of stuck out to you most? My favorite thing is the uh, soft dinosaur tissue, which they found more of earlier this year after they had made that documentary. I I've heard a lot of interesting discussions about how that would happen um, from a di variety of different perspectives, but I don't know. That makes me think we're this much closer to being able to actually have a Jurassic Park, which that so surprised me hearing it. Yeah, you're seeing the actual, unless they're, and they're not, that's not, you know, like, you know, sometimes Bob's, like, creation museum, which is a double-wide trailer behind his house, they'll be like, look, dinosaur bones, and they're like, no, 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 that's actually, uh, you know, cow, or, you know, but in this case, this is all stuff that the scientific community has said, yeah, we found uh, intact soft tissue, so it's, that's yeah, wild. I like the way they showed the the way the canyons and the mountains were formed. Yeah, it was a very uh, provocative beginning to show that canyon and say it seems that this would have taken what we always assume uh, a canyon takes uh, millions of years to slowly cut away and then show this is what it looked like 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah, fascinating. I don't have a uh, hard, hard position on any of that, so I'm not going to argue with anybody. And Sean's not here, so you're not going to argue with each other. So... Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that you can see too much of that kind of stuff. And if, you know, uh, Hugh Ross uh, and his Stand to Reason group came out with a similar type thing about old earth creationism, I'd want to watch that. I think the more we can learn uh, about all this stuff, the better. Uh, let's, let's go on then to number 10, which continues to involve the idea of creation. How did God create man? Let me make sure I'm... Yeah, so we're after question 11, we will be one-tenth the way through the catechism. All right, so let's read it together. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Now, this would have been a fairly vanilla safe answer uh, when these words were laid down, uh, but now I see all sorts of stuff in here that would really upset someone coming from a, a non-Christian uh, point of view, uh, beginning with the idea that God actually creates uh, as male and female, uh, that we're special, created in His image, uh, and, and we're therefore more important than the other creatures on the earth, and that we're supposed to have dominion over the earth and, and all the other creatures. 
Uh, let me, I know you're going to all freak out if I don't have an old-timey sermon illustration, so here it is. When Galen, a celebrated Greek physician, but atheistically inclined, had anatomized the human body and carefully surveyed the frame of it, viewed the fitness and usefulness of every part of it, and the many several intentions of every little vein, bone, and muscle, and the beauty of the whole, in a rapture of devotion, he wrote a hymn to the honor of his creator. And that has happened again and again uh, with people who have been uh, very much, there's no God. And then as they begin to study, these bodies of ours are just like, wait a minute. This is, it's too complex. It's too perfect. It's too, it's too designed. Uh, and, and come to some understanding of, or at least an openness to, the idea of a, a creator and, and some awe at this creator. Did any of you come to faith that way? By looking at, um, well, maybe the grandeur of creation in general, but more specifically, us, humans. I mean, I know none of you, I don't think, went to med school or anything. but I didn't come to faith that way, but being in the healthcare field and doing surgery and seeing the miraculous things that like, I've gotten to see, um, it's really strengthened. Mm-hmm. I bet. Um, I feel like I've actually grown, because there's times when I'm like in traumas and stuff and just like praying and I can, there's a certain time that I think of that like I specifically feel like I saw God's hand in that, in the work that we did and how the patient's doing now afterwards and stuff. Um, You're like, I'd like to tell the story of it, HIPAA. I, yes, I, mean, I would love to share it, but it's in the news, but, but there's certain things I can say and can't say and... Alex isn't on board with that, but it's her, it's her name and, and license and everything on the line, man, not yours. Uh, yeah, I, you, so you see inside of people every day. Like, like, that's wild to me. And you know what the different things are doing or supposed to be doing and maybe not doing at the moment. And instead of just being like, like I would be, you think what you should think. Yeah, that, it's, that's, that, is, that is so cool. And, and so you're reminded of God's, God's power and his, his design and his love for us every, every time you go to work. And, and wow, that's, that's awesome. Um, when I was younger, I used to study embryology and that kind of thing a lot. And it made me think, wow, all the stuff we don't know about it, all the stuff we do know is totally miraculous. When you think about it, a child goes from one cell to billions, billions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty incredible. And then that one cell has all the information. Yeah, that, that, I tell you what, those of you in, in computers, I mean, the goal used to be anyway to write really tight code. And when you look at the number of genes in a Michael Jordan or a Mozart, God has really got that down. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible uh, how, yeah, just this bit of information and all of it is present there. Um, you know, the, it used to be that men looked at this world and assumed God must be amazing. And that led people of science to also be theologians oftentimes. Uh, and now it seems many times, that at least the default is, uh, to look at the grandeur of creation, the complexity of the human body, and go, oh, so God must not exist. I don't know how we get there, but I can explain how it works, therefore... We don't need God anymore. This notion of a God of the gaps. That God existed to explain all these big gaps in our knowledge. And as those gaps close with knowledge, we don't need God anymore. And yet, it seems to me that as those gaps close with knowledge, it just raises more questions. How on earth, I mean, without all of the, something as simple as the the platelets clotting, blood clotting. You don't have that? First time someone gets cut, you're done. You're dead, right? So... You need that. And then follow that through a billion times. And you, and you say to yourself, how, how does anyone not see a designer? I think that's one of the things that the video did well, was just saying, because um, like, I don't think that those people are necessarily all saying, like, oh, here's all this knowledge, so I don't need God. I think they're saying, to begin with, I don't believe in God, and so I, I explain it this way. And I think the video did a, a good job of saying, like, you see what you're looking for, 
And if you question the paradigm that you start with, you might see something else. It's a presuppositional approach, which as a Calvinist, I'm all for, right? Uh, let me read you the proof texts here rather than have everyone flipping from Genesis to Revelation and then back in the between a bunch. Are you going to say what they are? Yes, I will say twice what they are, Aaron. Thank you. Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27. <laughs> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That was a, a text that we looked at in our very, at the very beginning of our study of um, women in the scriptures uh, and saw that men and women made in God's image uh, for God's glory. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So that tells us not only that God created us in His image, but for His pleasure which is so self-centered of him. You're allowed to be self-centered and be the center of the universe when you created the universe, though. Um, Colossians 3.10, And have put on the... No, this is middle of a sentence, sorry. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So uh, at the fall, this image was fractured, stained, and we're now being renewed back into the image of the one who created us. So there's a restoration happening where there was a fracturing happening. Uh, and and as, as believers, we are not uh, choosing to set aside our humanity as often is the portrayal of the world, right? Like, oh, you're, you're not going to follow every impulse inside your body. You're denying your humanity. And we say, no, that, that train is, is uh, it takes us away from true humanity. What we're doing is following Christ. Bart called him the true man, meaning we find what man should look like because he's the exact representation of God the Father, and we're made in the image of God, and so we're recovering all of that as we walk in sanctification. Ephesians 4.24, uh, and that ye put on a new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's Ephesians 4.24, Aaron. And that you put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, and that's, of course, the proof text for the dominion over the creatures part. Uh, so let's talk about this image of God, or if we want to be uh, pretentious, it's often called the imago dei, uh, because that's Latin for image of God. Uh, what does it mean to you when you think about how man was created and for what purpose that we are made in God's image? I think that one of the, I think that's one of the best things, like reasons to think that man didn't evolve from other things is because of how different we really are. And, you know, they found, okay, well, you know, dolphins use some form of language. Well, not like we do, you know, and birds sing, but they don't write music, you know, all these different things that people do very differently. And they don't have a, um, a desire to create. It's all about survival, right? Find a mate, stay alive, babies and I think all those things that make us different from the animals are those things that make us those are the things that we're the image of God you know they're not asking these philosophical questions right yeah no you can you can tell when cats interact with each other they're just like go away <laughs> not why are we here right. I, I wish I had a whiteboard now because I would make two columns and, nah, it's all right and one would be relationships God-like relationships that we have because we're made in God's image. The other would be capacities, God-like capacities that we have. When we talk about meta-narrative theology, viewing the Bible as a four-act story, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, when you're in creation, you really want to explore that. The idea that before the fall, before the fracturing, before we turned inward and had a tendency to worship ourselves and the created things 
instead of the Creator, we perfectly reflected God's relationship. So as, as an image bearer, we have unique relationships that, say, lower creatures don't have. Uh, relationship with our Creator. Now, great creation sings, yes, the stars, the rocks, the, you know, the peacocks, whatever, all bring glory to God, but not with the intentionality of one that's made in God's image. So the relationship we have with our God is one where we exist, question one, to what end? Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we exist in, and it's a very personal way. We exist to intentionally bring him glory with our lives. The next relationship is the relationship with our fellow image bearers because we're all made in God's image. Now we have this relationship where we uphold each other in, in our image bearing and help each other and, and uh, treat each other. In fact, that's right up there in Jesus' uh, great commandment uh, when he sums up the law in a two-parter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third is our relationship with creation itself, and that comes from Genesis 1.28, the notion that we have dominion over creation. And often this is framed, I think, in a kind of politicized sense of, you see, we're supposed to be in charge, and if we want to, you know, throw styrofoam all over and, uh, you know, conveyor belt and smash all the monkeys' heads and eat their brains or whatever we're doing, it's all fine. But... When you read the Genesis account, it's a caretaker role. We stand in for God. And in the, you look at the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, we're called his icons. Like you'd have you know, a, a picture of an emperor or a statue of an emperor in a far-flung corner of an empire where the emperor isn't, but his icon, his image is there. We are here and from the beginning, we're, Adam and Eve were in the garden as God's image bearers, there to be his, his hand, his dominion over creation. And then when we get to the capacities, what are some capacities that we have that are unique? Capacity to, to sin? No, that, that, that's not what we're, we're talking about. Before the fall, what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, and so that's not something that we have because we're made in the image of God uh, as a direct result. Uh, that's more of a logical necessity, I think, I guess, from, from that. Uh, what are some things that you, Aaron already mentioned, like questioning why we're here, philosophical discussion and inquiry, um, what's the meaning of it all? Not something that mere cats are doing. They're just like, anybody over there? No, 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 still no. <laughs> what about, uh, Aaron mentioned music. That's another one. You know, you say, well, I mean, you hear beautiful songs from all sorts of creatures. Yeah, but not in the kind of creative way uh, that we can create music and use it to glorify God, to explore what it means to be human, to explore what it means to be uh, here on this planet and have these three kinds of relationships. It's, it, it's totally unique to us. What else? What do you, think about what you do or did for a living, and I guarantee it involves things that are unique to, right? I mean, when's the last time you heard of an otter hospital? The, the ability and desire to... to see inside other animals, but it's not... <laughs> right, right. And they're not filled with grandeur. They're just like, oh, yeah, wish I had some A1. Um, what, what, about, what about mathematics, yeah. right? I mean, that, that's in some ways the key to the universe. Math is not something, I mean, granted, part of, uh, there, there's a series of DVDs called uh, Amazing Animals uh, by this guy who was Nixon's dentist on Air Force One, and he was an atheist, and then he became a creationist, and he talks about all these different animals that kind of defy the naturalistic view, but uh, he talks about how beavers, if they go from point A, where they're building something, to point B, where they're building something, and there's a river with a current that they have to do X number of mathematical equations in their mind every second as they go, because they go in a straight line. They never are like, oh, got to overcorrect. Oh, it's just you watch them when they're just straight lines. But that's instinct. But, but yeah, they the actual, yeah, yeah, they're not able to know, <laughs> apply it elsewhere. I mean, the kind of stuff that people do, we landed that thing on Mars how fast the, the planet was spinning, how fast the thing was going on, the way, all this. 
we were just like, got it figured out. We, I say, I didn't have anything to do with it. But I mean, humans did. That's amazing. Yeah. That's another one. We marvel at creation. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're overwhelmed by it, and it gives us a sense of I mean, we just something greater. Uh-huh. Those of us who have seen sunsets, and those of us who have seen sunrises, we sit there and watch it. I think that's probably everybody, yeah. Um, what about altruism? Right, well, I don't know. I, I've brought that up before in the past in, like, online debates and have, and have had people show me certain amounts of evidence of, you know, like, penguins helping the oldest, sickest ones or whatever and keeping them alive yeah, for... Oh, that's just so nice. You weren't home otherwise. This is all I do when I have a free moment. I go on Twitter and find sweet animal videos and retweet them. um, It's pretty obvious that people do that to a a greater degree. And people, you know, kind of, this isn't image of God. This is more like what Roger was saying with sin. I mean, people do that to a greater degree. Like animals are just existing, you know, as, as they're designed. And we do things that are beyond our, our survival. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, but the curse goes everywhere. There are predators that kill for sport, not for food. I mean, there, there's everything is touched by by the fall. Uh, what, what about when you say altruism? I mean, when you you can see maybe more clearly the image of God as in the restoration, in the in the redemption, when we say there wasn't really a movement to have hospitals or orphanages in the ancient world until Christianity came on the scene. And that that's something that we're rediscovering in ourselves as the image of God is uh, kind of repaired and restored. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's at the core of being a human. And that's, yeah. What about uh, Richard? Accounting. That's math, too. Okay. Um, Trying Get more computers. Oh yeah, it's like enforcing. Like, hey, where's my money? Teaching. Um, police work. Teaching. teaching. Now there's a certain amount of teaching that's done by certain animals. But but not for the joy of expanding who we are and stuff. Just for survival, like yeah. you say. Yeah. And and the joy I'm sure that you got out of teaching yeah. was not simply well the species can go on, but rather <laughs> I've impacted young lives. Right. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, you know, I I can like die, and then and that's it. You know, so there's so much more to being made in the image of God when you have a, a that telos when you have that purpose. Or farming. Okay. Farming. Yeah. Some ants do that. Yeah, ants. There. Ant farm. Do that. <laughs> yeah, they well, bring they bring stuff down and they farm and they uh, they farm fungus. That's also, wild. That's awesome. Also, I'm pretty sure um, a lot of gardeners in here can tell you we plant things just to make it look beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah. And, there, and there are. I mean, there are birds that beautify their nests, but it's to get the mate, right. etc. You know, something always puzzled me was that animals can't laugh. Except hyenas. <laughs> I don't think they laugh. No. Yeah, because they you don't really need complex vocal cords to laugh. Right. But we yeah. laugh at stuff. We make jokes. We have humor. Yeah, humor, definitely. Humor. That's, yeah, that's a good one. And that's and it's interesting to think of that as being something rooted in the image of God. Yeah. But it, it must be. That it, it, we don't think there's gonna be jokes in eternity. Yeah. There better be. Have irony. God must have a sense of humor. Look at us. Let's <laughs> <laughs> speak for yourself, man. Someone open Genesis three twenty for me. Yeah, this, this gets us into how we, how we read the, the early chapters of Genesis, even if they're poetry. Are we going to go so far as to say these people are like poetic representations of early communities of upright bipeds? There are those who will say that, but you have to throw so much of the Bible out at that point. Um, this early stuff, uh, that name Heveh, which, Heve, which we've really destroyed by going with Eve, Eve's prettier than Heveh, but meaning that she's the mother of everyone. Everyone can, and, and, and then even in the New Testament, we trace back the lineage of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, 
not just to Abraham, but back further to, anyone remember? Adam. Adam, and Adam's father, as we all know, is God. And that's, that's important to the gospel itself. So it's not just Old Testament poetry we're talking about. We're talking about um, the gospel. We're talking about the New Testament. Somebody do me a favor, flip over to Romans 5. And I think this gets to the real crux uh, of how we view the creation of man and what it means for us. And, and putting some hard limits on what we can uh, entertain as, as possibilities. Romans 5, 12 through 18. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Wow. So, how, how does Paul read the story of creation? Fairly literally. I mean, we don't know about the six literal days, but we know when it comes to the creation of man out of the dust of the earth and one man falling into sin, there's no ambiguity in his mind. And if we believe he's inspired by the Holy Spirit when he writes these words in Romans... We, too, are limited here. Um, this can't be a proto-Adamic community that uh, lived in relative harmony for a while, then turned on each other, and that's what's being pictured here. Just as, katos, just as one man brought sin into the world, and through that death, the curse, everything that comes with it, so one man, Jesus, brings life, brings redemption, you have the comparison here that in the very same way, so if, if it's a metaphorical fall, then it's a metaphorical redemption. And that's literally no use to me or you, for that matter. Um, good grief. We could be anywhere right now. Why are you up early on a Sunday at church? And then they contrast, or Paul contrasts saying, but it's not just like, I mean, it's the opposite. In one case, sin enters through one man, and there's the wages of sin. In the other case, uh, life comes through one man, and it's free. It's a free gift. Um, and even from Adam to Moses, sin reigned, you know, before the coming of the law. There's, there's so much packed into that. And if, if we're willing to twist a scripture like that to fit around... Uh, theory about human origins, I think there's no limit to how we're willing to twist the scriptures to make them fit what we wish that they said instead of what they do say. That's my opinion. Um, I do have a hard and fast opinion about this. Uh, I, I've seen wonderful cases made about old earth, newer, young earth, uh, even theistic evolution of certain varieties like we saw in that uh, Sword and Spirit slideshow where I go, eh, I'm not sold, but okay, whatever. I mean, who cares? It's all amazing. However everything came to be, it's all amazing. But if, if there's not one man who fell into sin, who was created from the dust of the earth, who is a type of Christ and a prototype of all of us, our, our, all of our father and Eve, all of our mother, then this whole gospel narrative just crumples like a house of cards. Anyone not see that as being quite self-evident? Spurgeon on evolution. The worst sort of clever men are those who know better than the Bible and are so learned that they believe the world has no maker and that men are only monkeys with their tails rubbed off. Dear, dear me, 
This is the sort of talk we used to expect from Tom of Bedlam, but now we get it from clever men. If things go on in this fashion, a poor plowman will not be able to tell which is the lunatic and which is the philosopher. I love Spurgeon so much. Um, some things we could talk about at length, but I really want to get, continue through the, the uh, catechism. Uh, would be the notion of irreducible complexity and, and intelligent design, which if you haven't read Michael Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box, and, and some other stuff that's come out more recently, um, you know, looking at building blocks that are irreducibly complex. You take away one of three components and it doesn't work. It's all got to be there. And the question on many scientific, scientifically minded people's minds is, how did it all get there all at once so that it functioned from the very beginning? Um, DNA and RNA proteins, you know, this stuff, the Cambrian explosion, another example of how did this all happen. Uh, and one thing, you know, we started with Galen, the celebrated Greek physician, but atheistically inclined, who mapped out the body as well as they could in his day and said, I got to write a hymn to my creator, even though I was an atheist at the beginning of this project. Uh, another person to read about is Anthony Flew. Uh, who was, here's his, his autobiography written way, two years before he died. He died at 84 or 86 or something um, in 2009. So this was written in 2007. It's called, There is a God. It's, there is no God. And then they scratched out the no and put in an A. But it's called, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. And this is a guy who used to debate C.S. Lewis uh, taught at Oxford. I mean, this is no slouch. This is a, he, he was a very prominent atheist, and he wrote a book that really kind of set uh, values in place and, and uh, fundamental thoughts in place for atheists called The Atheist Presupposition, or no, it's called uh, The Presumption of Atheism. Yeah, the presumption of atheism. The idea of we, we don't need to do what they used to do and come to science with this idea of, well, yeah, there's a creator unless evidence leads us elsewhere. No, we come assuming there is no God, and that's where I come from, and I find no evidence that there is. And so this is a guy who's born in like the 20s, very, very, very learned, cutting edge, through, you know, getting his degree in the 50s and then continuing, and the more and more information comes, despite himself, he finds himself moving from atheism to agnosticism to ultimately he probably wound up, I mean, we call him a theist, but maybe more a deist. Uh, hopefully, at the very end, he put his faith in Christ before he died, but uh, it's, it's interesting to read. It was, it was a really good read. If anyone wants to borrow that, that's from my personal collection. So if you don't return it, you'll get really bad diarrhea. But um, it, it, really fascinating to read about someone who just doesn't want to believe. Son of a Methodist minister and no time for all that hocus-pocus mumbo-jumbo. And over the course of decades and being celebrated for being an atheist, and think about what it means then to say, I wrote some of these seminal works that, that, that people point back to and say, this is, this is how you do atheism and science and skepticism. And now I'm saying, well, at the end of my life, uh, not so much, you know, and, and walking that all back. That's, you have to really be convinced before you're willing to do that. Uh, so I find that kind of thing very fascinating. And, and many of the stories of people uh, who are prominent in the church, they start you even have the stories of those who set out to disprove. If you haven't watched the, uh, the movie they made about the case for Christ, definitely check that one out. It's on Netflix right now um, about uh, Lee Strobel, Chicago Tribune. Uh, no, not Chicago, Chicago Sun-Times uh, reporter. Very skeptical. His wife gets saved and he hates that she gets saved. Sets out, I'm going to prove this nonsense wrong. And by the end of this story, uh, it's a book, and then they made a movie, he's, he becomes a Christian. He just, despite himself, um, that kind of thing is always just so encouraging to me. So remember, this is not just, well, you were born into a Christian home. Had you been born into a Muslim home, you'd be a Muslim. Had you been born into an atheist home, you'd be an atheist. Not always the case. People come to faith by long, hard roads uh, of, of exploration and and. And discovery. Yeah. One of the things I experience with my faith is not just looking at the building blocks of life, but look at where God put the earth. And if we were any closer to the sun, we'd fry. And if we were any farther from the sun, we'd freeze. So we're in just the right place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they call it the Goldilocks zone. The skeptic says, 
Well, there are so many infinite possible locations of stars and planets uh, relative to those stars that obviously one of them somewhere is going to be in the right location. And you only know that this one's in the right location because you happen to be on it. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I think that um, there's a lot of aspects of it, perspectives, but I think something that's really saying is it's like a call to action, regardless of how you feel about science, because 2,000 years ago or more, they weren't asking the sorts of questions we are today. But really what they're saying is, hey, this potential is in you. Whether you believe this or that, you do have this potential to, to believe that you are holy and you have basically it's a responsibility. You know, that's actually a lot of pressure when you realize that. that you are capable of, you know, putting the responsibility of, say, the stewardship of the earth on your shoulders. And since you have that potential, you have to fulfill it, you know? Yeah. And, and I think then science either becomes, for many people today, a convenient out from that. You slip out from under the, the pressure. Oh, well, no, now we know that we're all just random stardust, you know, that happened to collect. Or science then becomes the way of determining how God made these things work and, and strengthening our faith and, and helping us fulfill that telos, that mission. Richard, do you have to go to choir? Ten after. Oh, you're not in choir anymore. Oh, yeah. You know what they told me? That when you quit choir, you were going to be bronzed and placed up in your spot there. You know, when you think about science, though, it also makes you want to take care of the Earth more. Because of where it is and all that, you want to take care of it more well than we do now. We don't take care of it as well as we should. Speak for yourself, man. I recycle. Well, I think it, it really depends what kind of science you're talking about, because it's science that led to the creation of all sorts of things true. that yeah. ruin the Earth. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and a lot of scientists sit down in Monsanto and those places. Well, I don't like how you've said those two in the same breath, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it is interesting. Like invented plastic, right? <laughs> All of, most of the greatest scientists in history were Christian until past like Very seven years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so there was not this at odds between the science and yeah. faith. Right. And it makes me wonder, you know, who's it, why is there this attack on science? In you the know? church, you mean? In the church. Yeah. yeah. Why does it matter? I think because the, it's, a, it's a defensive thing, that, that there's a sense that, this, that people are often using science to, to attack faith. And, and yeah, it's two sides of the same coin if we're understanding it correctly. Right. But it's so, it's so weird that people are so passionate about it because... Other things in the Bible we take as miracles. We don't try to break it down and say, well, you know, I don't believe in combustion because we have an example of people surviving in a furnace. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get why it's such strong, you know, passion for some of these uh, investigations. I think a big part of it has to do with in evangelistic endeavors, you often run into an, uh, the kind of dead end of, well, I think science explains everything. We don't need God. And I'm not even going to therefore give the time of day to, to your gospel that you want to share with me. Uh, and so we want, we want to engage it and we should want to engage it. But yeah, when it becomes, you know, principal Skinner, religion doesn't belong in schools any more than facts belong in churches, then we're going down the wrong rabbit hole. What's funny to me is like when you mentioned how you know, science and, and scientists being either Muslim or, or Christian, I mean, all the greatest uh, breakthroughs over the, the millennia, um, I, you'll hear people say today like, well, you can't believe in these miracles and God created this stuff out of nothing and then pull the iPhone out of your pocket that science gave you and use it. You have to choose one or the other. To which I say, well, you can't believe in blind evolution and go get an MRI because the guy who invented that, who's still alive, is a literal six-day young Earth creationist. So, I mean, there, there's still a lot of people doing the the work that are, and a lot of them are, are kind of semi-persecuted if they're vocal about their faith. So I don't think it's a one-sided thing where religion has set its sights on science. I think it's um, academia in many ways 
Ben Stein came out with maybe a, quite an over-the-top uh, documentary about that called Expelled about 10, 15 years ago. It was worth watching. Um, but uh, examples of people, even at a historically Baptist college, saying, now hold on, I believe in that God created these things, and I, I don't know what I can you know, promote about this, and oh, you're gone. See ya. It's, it's going on. I think the last time you were looking at the uh, catechism, you had a video with, um, I think his name was Sproul, R.C. Sproul. It was talking about how God made both the science, both the general. Yeah, science, yeah you missed that. And the special revelation, mm -hmm. and they're both perfect, but it's how we're looking at them through our right. own faith. Indeed, the late great R.C. Sproul. Well, I thought this might take longer because I thought we would have more discussion about the movie. We can move on to the next question. We've got 15 minutes. Um, what are God's works of providence? Let's read 11 together. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Uh-oh. <laughs> Definitely a uh, controversial one as well. Uh, Old Tommy Silver Restoration. <clears throat> John Craig, a distinguished minister and colleague of John Knox, having gone to reside in Bologna in a convent of Dominicans, found a copy of Calvin's Institutes, which God made the means of his conversion to the Reformed faith. He was seized as a heretic soon after and carried to Rome, where he was condemned to be burned. But on the evening preceding the day of execution, the reigning pontiff died. And according to custom, the doors of all the prisons were thrown open. All others were released, but heretics, after being permitted to go outside the walls, were reconducted to their cells. That night, however, a tumult was excited, and Craig and his companions escaped. They had entered a small inn at some distance from Rome when they were overtaken by a party of soldiers sent to recapture them. On entering the house, the captain looked Craig steadfastly in the face and asked him if he remembered having once relieved a poor wounded soldier in the neighborhood of Bologna. Craig had forgotten it, but, said the captain, I am the man. I shall requite your kindness. You are at liberty." Your companions I must take with me, but for your sake I shall treat them with all possible lenity. Lenity. Yeah. Leniency, we'll say. That's a better word. He gave him all the money he had, and Craig escaped. His money soon failed, yet God, who feeds the ravens, did not. Lying at the side of a wood full of gloomy apprehensions, a dog came running up to him with a purse in its teeth. Suspecting some evil, he attempted to drive the animal away, but in vain. He at length took the purse and found in it a sum of money which carried him to Vienna. Now, that is a providency story. Uh, we talked about, when we, when we had the question of God's works of creation and providence, we talked quite a bit about providence, so we don't need to belabor this. But there are a lot of, there's another story somewhat like this. Um, Menno Simons, uh, the founder of the Mennonites, when he was being persecuted, uh, they were always trying to arrest him. And he was driving, uh, and he couldn't lie. You know, he's a Mennonite. He's the original Mennonite. He was driving the, the carriage one day, and soldiers pulled up and, there, and said, is, is Menno Simons with you? And he leaned into the carriage and said, is there a Menno Simons in there? No, not quite in, I guess. And they said, no, nope, not in here. And he said, no, sorry, not in there. And he kept on going, that, that, that sort of thing. Even Luther, the fact that, he was, uh, that Frederick was able to kidnap him before the Inquisition could. Um, there's, you see God's fingerprints all over this stuff, mostly in hindsight, uh, and we see him in our lives as well. Uh, we talked about the role of providence in Roger Williams' life and how that led to the establishment of uh, the American Baptist churches and, and the state of Rhode Island eventually. Um, always something that you can see when you look back. And I think that's where that corny footprints thing is going with this, right? You look back and you go, oh, okay, yeah, I see what God was doing. Uh, but in the moment, it often feels like, wait a minute, God, where are you? The word providence is not in the Bible, but it's still a good word. The word Trinity is not in the Bible either. There's a number of other words that aren't. Um, and 
Of course, it's from the same root as provide or provision. I think we often miss that. We talk about providence, we're primarily thinking of God providing something, but generally through secondary means. So the dog that, what, I don't know, like found a purse full of money? You start wondering when Jesus, uh, when they said we need to pay the temple tax, and Jesus said, go throw a line, catch a fish, look in its mouth. If Jesus miraculously caused that fish to grab that coin like earlier, or how did any of that, or if he just knew in his omniscience that, uh, or, or the Holy Spirit informed him because he's limited himself in his omniscience that, that uh, there's, there's, a, there's a fish with a coin, happens. You know, sometimes you catch a fish, you go to eat it, it's full of batteries. Look, look how Ruth just happened to, look how Ruth in the book of Ruth just happened to go into the right field. Yeah, yeah, pro- providence for sure there, yeah. I don't understand the sentence. Is it just me? I don't get it. God's works of providence, is the answer? Yeah. Are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his preachers and all their actions. Yeah, so when we talk about providence in the broader sense, we talk about God's sovereignty. And so, when, for example, the fish. The fish, God in his uh, power and wisdom and, and might and holiness caused that fish to swallow that coin. That's one of his creatures under his power. Caused that dog to pick up that purse. Um, and even, uh, to, in a sense, caused the the Romans and the Sanhedrin to put Jesus to death by his foreordained plan. And yet they still exercised their will and, and, and wickedness and were held accountable for it. Like, where does it trip you up, Steve? Would the make more sense if it said powerful preservation and governance of his creatures? Like, is it the, it's the weird gerund the there? Grammar, right? I don't understand what this is trying to say. This works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, his, his providence are his preserving. Yeah, it's are his preserving and governing. Yeah. So, is so his preserving and is his governing. Are oh, okay, those yeah. things. Like, so if you've turned that into a noun, it might... Yeah, it's stilted. It's stilted English, that's for sure. Preserving and governing. Like, okay. preservation and governance of. That's what... Yeah. And, of course, there are modernized versions of this catechism, uh, which maybe we should have side by side with, and modernized uh, modern language versions of the Confession, which I think are really useful. Uh, there's one that, uh, who put that out? James White, I think, put one out, not maybe 10 years ago. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, even though we don't find the word in the scriptures, let me read you a few texts here. Uh, Hebrews 1, 3, that's 1, it's colon 3. Oh, is it? Okay. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So his providence, providence extends to his, like, having created you, keeping you here. Were he to stop sustaining you, that's it. So even those who, who mock and scoff at God only are able to do that with, you know, the breath he gave them, the chest to breathe it, and the mind to form the words, and he's continually sustaining their existence. Uh, Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So what we mean by the kingdom of God. I think that's one of the most fascinating things I've ever studied is the use of the phrase kingdom of God in the New Testament and how it really means the reign of God, the, the kingship of God. Uh, and Kuiper gets down to the, the nuts and bolts of it when he says there's not one thumb breadth of this universe about which Christ does not say, it is mine. This, this is God's sovereignty, and, and, and we see God's providence in it. Uh, and then, of course, um, nothing. It's like Encyclopedia Brown, no case too small. Uh, Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Of course, Jesus' point there was, you're worth a lot more than sparrows. God's got his eyes on you. But he also said his eyes on the sparrow. He, he, he knows every hair on your head. I'm not going to go there. It's low-hanging fruit, man. Uh, he, he's got them numbered. He, he knows not one cockroach gets stepped on apart from God knowing this. So uh, God is, he, he's not the kind of clockmaker God that Anthony Flew probably wound up believing in. 
created the world, set the rules, wound it up, stepped away. He's involved. He is involved intimately. <clears throat> Calvin's first publication, uh, before he was arm-twisted into being a theologian, he wanted to actually uh, pursue other things, and he wrote a commentary on Cicero. Uh, and Cicero says, Great things the gods care for, small things they neglect. Contrast that with what Jesus teaches us about God. That, that he cares about and cares for everything. You know, that, that there's nothing outside of his gaze. There's nothing outside of his providing. Um, even in the regular rhythms of, uh, you know, the, the seasons changing and you see the deer out there eating grass and all these, and you're like, that's eh, just how everything works. That's still God's providence. Didn't he make that point also when he said, do not worry? Yeah, worry sure, yeah. Yeah, God's taking care of the, the, the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, all this stuff. He'll take care of you. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, he will provide. That's providence. Yeah. Uh, so there's two aspects to this. There's preserving and governing. And those we will begin talking about next time. Dun, dun, dun. After the break. After the break. And the break will be one week. Uh, let's go to Lord in Prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these scriptures that we can read and be reminded of, of how you are preserving and governing all things. And Lord, that we can be comforted that you are preserving and governing our lives, that you, your eyes are on us. You will never leave us or forsake us. We are safe in your hands and, and that the God who knows when a, a sparrow falls from the sky knows exactly what is going on in our lives. Every hair of our head is numbered and Lord, you know what we need. And, and Lord, as we even look at this uh, in a different text uh, during the, the church service to come, we pray that you would uh, calm our hearts if we are worried about, about many things and remind us, Lord, that we are uh, safe in your hands. We are uh, beloved by you and, and we are cared for by a, a powerful God. And, and Lord, uh, we, we just pray that you would uh, continue to be with us and, and remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are every day sustained uh, by your love and power as well. Amen.